Linda. Okay. Well, I've been away for a few weeks. I've had a, uh, a few weddings these past few weeks, and uh, you know, marriage is good, right? It's great. And then I've been out at the Frisco campus uh, doing a little teaching out there uh, with, uh, and introducing myself to some new families that are there. So let's give it up for Frisco this morning, okay? We're glad they're here. you're here. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and I would have us know this, that on Palm Sunday, Jesus went on a trip. And he started in Jerusalem, and in his final destination was the cross. And on Palm Sunday, it was a day of celebration. It was even a day of celebration for Jesus because he knew what was in store. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When you're planning a trip and you're going somewhere, you kind of know what it's going to be like. And oftentimes, it is a time of great expectation. In fact, this past spring, how many of us here went on a trip? May I see your hands? Wow, okay. How many of us are planning a trip this summer, maybe to Disney World. Yes, I'm starting to do that for my grandkids, okay? We're gonna do that probably a year from now. How many of you have ever gone on a, a, a train trip? May I see your hands? How about a car trip? I'm trying to get you going, it's spring, it's cold, okay? How about a, uh, a car trip? Did I already say that one? Oh, okay. How many of us have gone on a guilt trip? You see, that is not a trip that Jesus wants you to go on. You see, the trip that he took on Palm Sunday to the cross was a trip that, that, that he was in hopes that would prevent you from going on a guilt trip. Because he knew, he knows that guilt isn't good. That it creates all kinds of fears within us. The fear that I'll be found out, the fear that I'll be rejected, the fear that, that somebody will retaliate, this fear that someone will judge me. It creates all kinds of negative emotions within you. And because Jesus knew that, Jesus went on a trip for you. And it started on Palm Sunday, but it ended at the cross. This weekend, I want us to understand the essence of biblical love and how it is expressed through forgiveness. You see, when Jesus was on the cross with his lifeblood draining from him, the very first thing that he talks about is forgiveness. Now this is, there is some tremendous benefits from understanding this. You see, a lot of people next, this, this coming week will know and understand that Jesus died on the cross. Fewer still will understand that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and fewer still will know the benefits of what Jesus did. You see, if I were to ask you, can you give me the 10 benefits that, that you experience in life and in eternity as an expression of God's selfless love for you, could you list those? Well, one of those at the top has to be forgiveness. Because the very first words off of, out of Jesus' mouth from the cross was about this. Let me set up the story. In Luke 23, he's carrying the cross to Golgotha. Great crowds tra trailed along behind him, including many grief-stricken women. 
But Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Finally, they came to the place called the skull. All three were crucified there. Jesus on the center cross and the two criminals on either side. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice and the crowd watched and the, and the leaders laughed and scoffed. He saved others, they said, let him save himself if he really is God's chosen one, the Messiah. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Folks, the very first words out of Jesus's mouth on this trip from Palm Sunday to, to Golgotha was on forgiveness. Today, what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at three things. I wanna take a look at what you and I normally do with guilt, what God wants us to do with guilt, and then how you can be free from guilt. Because Jesus took that road from Palm Sunday all the way to Golgotha so that you and I can live a guiltless life. This message, I'm in hopes, will prepare us for Holy Thursday, where we will come together and we will remember the Lord through the elements, sing some songs, worship, and pray together. So what do we normally do with our guilt? Well, we do three things. First of all, we bury it. At least we try to, okay? Have you ever heard someone say this? You've just got to bury the past. You know what the problem is with that? You can't. It doesn't work. Your past is like, are like zombies, okay? They keep coming back alive again and again and again. They come back up in your memories. They come back up in your dreams. They come up at the most inappropriate times. Folks, you and I can't bury our past. We can deal with it but we can't bury it. We see this from David out of Psalms 32. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to what? Hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now, each and every one of us here has our own favorite way of burying our past. Some of us like to minimize it, okay? We, we come along and say, well, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Well, if it wasn't that big of a deal, why are you still bothered by it, okay? Some people try to rationalize it. Well, a lot of other people have done this. You see, every time you and I rationalize our past, what we are doing is we are, rash, we are telling ourselves rational lies, well, what other people do or don't do is irrelevant to whether you and I feel good about ourselves in regards to what we have done. Some people like to compromise by just lowering the standard. You know what? It's not a sin anymore. There's a myth or a saying out there that goes something like this, commit a sin twice and you don't feel so bad. That's true, isn't it? But do you know what that is called? That's called a seared conscience. You see, the 15th murder isn't as bad as the first one, okay? You and I can't bury it. Take a look at Proverbs 28, verse 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sin. Will you circle the word never? Why? Because eventually it'll catch up with you. 
Thanks to the internet today, everything that you and I do is permanent. It is global. It is searchable. Apple can crack the code, okay? So we try to bury it. The second way that we deal with our past or our guilt is we like to blame others. And this one has been around since the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and Adam took it like a man. He blamed his wife. My wife all the time says, George, why do you blame me for everything? I'm just trying to be a biblical man. I'm telling you, okay? Take a look at Genesis 3.12. Yes, God admit, or yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me some and I ate it. You see, Adam didn't just blame Eve, folks. He's blaming God. God, if you hadn't created this woman, I wouldn't be in the mess that I'm in, okay? God, I don't know about this, but I really didn't have a choice. She was the only woman for me. That's your fault, okay? Now, the reason why we blame is to balance out the guilt that's in our lives. You see, in our minds, there is a scale, and guilt is on one side, and blame is on the other. Guilt for the things that we've done wrong, and blame for the things that others have done to us. And so when we are in a relationship with someone, and we've injured them, and we're feeling this guilt, what we do to balance out this scale is to blame them. But blaming doesn't work. Blaming is to be lame. It's to cripple yourself. Blaming others doesn't work. And by the way, blaming God doesn't work. Take a look at Proverbs 19, verse three. People's own foolishness ruins their lives, but in their minds, they blame the Lord. God, you know what? If you hadn't given me the woman that you gave me, it wouldn't be this way. God, if you hadn't given, if, if, I, if, I, if you'd have given me a different job, God, I, things would be a whole lot better, God. God, if, if you would have given me maybe some different talents or abilities or different circumstances in my life, a different upbringing, God, things would be different. It's really your fault. You see, we bury it and we blame. But the third way that we oftentimes deal with our guilt is that we beat ourselves up for it. We self-administer punishment. We, we subconsciously try to pay for our mistakes. I mean, think about this. Can, can guilt or can a guilty conscience make you sick? Sure it can. In fact, one report that I read said that 50% of people in mental institutions could be gone tomorrow if they just knew how to get rid of their guilt or resentment. Can guilt sabotage your success? Sure it can. You don't think that you're, you're worthy enough to receive whatever success it might be, and so you undermine it. In fact, I knew a pastor once who did not feel good about who God made him and the results that he was seeing through his ministry, so he went out and had an affair just to prove that he wasn't worthy of it. A guilty conscience can sabotage your success. Can, can guilt cause depression? Yeah, in fact, depression can be a form of atonement. Take a look at Psalms 38, 4 and 6. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about depression. My guilt has overwhelmed me. 
I'm sad all day long. Now you understand and know, do you not, the problem with punishing yourself. It's It's that you and I don't know when to quit. You and I don't know when to stop. In fact, some of us are still beating ourselves up for things that we did, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's not smart. It's not wise. God never intended you and I to beat up ourselves and to live this guilt-filled life. He went on a trip starting on Palm Sunday it was a trip that the beginning of that trip was a trip of celebration because he knew what was in store he knew what he he was going to be offering us the very first thing forgiveness and so what does jesus want us to do with our guilt well he wants us to do a few things there are a few things that he wants us to do to get off the guilt trip that we are on Now, what I'm about to share, I'll just let you know this. These are very simple, and I would say they are profound. They are very simple, but they are not easy to do. And the first thing would be this, admit it. I have to admit it. I have to get out of denial. I don't bury it. I don't blame others. I don't beat myself up for it. I just own up to it. I did wrong, God. I blew it. Now that is simple, but it is not easy. Because oftentimes what we do with our guilt is that we will try to run away from it. And when I say run away from it, I mean to physically run away from our guilt. There are some people who will move from a certain geographical area to a different geographical area out of guilt. They think, you know what? I blew it in this area here. So what I'm going to do is I am physically going to move to a different area. The problem with that is that wherever you go, you are there. You can go to Tahiti, okay? Wow, what a great place to go on a trip to. But when you would get there, you would be there with your guilt. You see, sometimes people move to get rid of guilt. Sometimes people move busy-wise to get rid of their guilt. And, And what they find at the end of the day is that when their head hits the pillow, they begin thinking, and those dreams of guilt come back up. And so they've determined... They get up earlier and go faster the next day so that if I just get tired enough, maybe I can go to sleep at night and not be haunted with the guilt that I have. Take a look at Proverbs 20, verse 27. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Will you circle that phrase, cannot hide from ourselves? You see, why guilt is so devastating is you and I might be able to hide it from others, but we can't hide it from ourselves, can we? Take a look at 1 John uh, 1.8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Will you write this down? To stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. 
To stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. You see, what are you pretending that is not a problem in your life? Well, it's not a habit. It's not an addiction. It's not a problem. I can handle it. If I want to stop defeating myself, I've got to stop deceiving myself. Once a year, when I go to Colorado on my sabbatical, I do what is called a moral inventory. I sit down with God and I say, God, I want you to show me all the stuff that has gone and become unconscious within me and I want you to bring it to my conscious mind. And I sit down and I'm quiet. I'm in the mountains. I mean, you can't get any closer to God than being at 14,000 feet, right? I mean, it's awesome. And then God begins to percolate up things, habits, hurts, hangups, mistakes, flops, failures, and fumbles. And after I do that, I, I then go from God and me to myself and my wife. I said, God, show me some stuff that's just between my wife and I that's just not good. I sit quietly and God begins percolating up stuff that's unconscious that in one sense has been eating away at me. And then I go from my, my relationship with my wife to my kids, to, my, to the staff, to our church, and even to our community. Why? Well, Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, 4, let us examine our ways and test them. You see, we need to examine ourselves because all those little things that maybe we've done, that we've just kind of accumulated, okay, like mud on our feet as we're traveling down that road begin to bog us down and we don't even realize it. You see, I would recommend to you that you do this and that when you do it, that you take a blank piece of paper and you begin writing out the stuff that's come up between you and God, you and your significant other, you and your family, you and the church, you and the community. Now you may be sitting here and be thinking, well, why in the world, Pastor George, do I need to write it? Why can't I just think about it? Because writing them down makes it specific. Francis Bacon said it like this, reading makes a broad man, writing makes a specific man. Dawson Trotman, the founder of The Navigators, said it like this, thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. You see, if you just think about it, then you're really not serious about it. But if you are serious about it, you will get specific. Now, Jesus went on this trip. And he says, here's what I'd like you to do. I don't want you to live a guilt-filled life. I want you to live a guilt-free life. And I want you to first admit it. But the second thing I want you to do is I want you to accept responsibility, which means I'm not going to blame anyone else. They may have done 99% of it, okay? And I only did 1%. I'm not going to deal with them. I'm not gonna deal with you, your sin, your problems, your hurts, your hangups. I'm gonna deal with me. I'm gonna be responsible. And again, in doing that, I don't rationalize and say, well, that was such a long time ago, okay? And, and I don't blame others. Well, they're 99% at fault. And I don't make excuses. 
I accept responsibility. One day in King David's life, he had a moral failure. And you know the story, don't you? He looked out his palace window and he saw this beautiful nude woman taking a bath. I don't know about you, but every time I read that story, I think, who in their right mind takes a bath on the rooftop when others can look down and see what's going on? Doesn't make sense to me. Well, anyway, you know the story. David and Bathsheba hook up. She gets pregnant. David has her husband murdered so he can marry her. When David writes out his moral inventory, okay, his moral personal inventory in Psalms 51, it's interesting as you read this, he doesn't blame Bathsheba. Could Bathsheba said no to David? Sure, she could have. Could Bathsheba taken her shower in the house and not on the rooftop? Sure. But David doesn't mention any of that. David owns it. And he says this in Psalms 51, verse 3. I recognize my faults. I am conscious of my sins. Will you circle the word my? It's mentioned two times. Now, what is the best way to ensure that you and I accept responsibility for all the dumb things that we have done in life? Well, this is going to shock you. And like I said earlier, this is simple, but it's not easy. The best way for you and I to accept responsibility for the dumb things that we have done in life is to tell one other person. You gotta be kidding me, Pastor George. My deepest and darkest secrets? Yeah. Don't tweet about them. Don't Facebook them, okay? And don't tell a gossip. But do tell one other person who will listen to your worst sin and will show you love and grace. God says this is an essential key to letting go of guilt. Now, let me just stop and say this, because after 40 years of ministry, I hear this a lot. Many of you have confessed your sins to God. That is good. But you still feel guilty. Why? It's because you haven't taken this step. Take a look at James chapter 5, verse 16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, let me explain this. To be forgiven, all you need to do is tell God. But if you want to be healed emotionally, if you don't want to be emotionally haunted, with the guilt of your past, conscious or unconscious, you need to tell one other person. Because the Bible says, admit your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That is why I always say this, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Now you say here, but, but Pastor George, I just don't want to do that. Well, fine. I mean, no skin off my back, okay? Go ahead and continue to live in the emotional turmoil that you're in, allowing it to eat your lunch. You see, if you don't talk it out, you're gonna take it out. 
When you swallow your emotional hurt, you are only hurting your body. And God says, I don't want you to go on that trip. That's why I did a trip for you. That's why I went from Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, with a lot of celebration, because I knew you could live a guiltless life, okay? By going to the cross. And so God says, just admit your faults to one another and pray for one another and you can be healed. But Pastor George, do I really have to bring in one other person? Why can't it just between, be between me and God? Well, let me just share this. This is simple, but it's profound. The root of all your problems is relational. No, Pastor George, it's just between me and God. No, it's not. You see, you have relationships that are pushing you in a direction that you do not want to go. Trust me, as a pastor who loves you, the root of your problem is relational. Will you write this down? I am only as sick as my secrets. You see, secrets make us sicker. But the way you get healing is by revealing your feelings to one other person. You see, when you do that, what happens is that you begin to experience grace in your life and not just theological, which we love to do, don't we? We love to play grace in our mind over and over again. But God says, if you will confess your sins, your faults to one other person, you will experience grace, not theologically, but relationally in the here and now. And it will change your life. You see, we're not just dishonest with God. We are dishonest with each other. We play games. We wear masks. We pretend. And what it does is it isolates us from each other. And it creates fears within us. And it prevents intimacy. And so I say, you and I need at least one person in our lives that we can be totally honest with. It is God's way of healing. And so I admit, I accept responsibility. The third thing that I do is that I ask for forgiveness. Now, there are so many promises in God's word about forgiveness, but here is a famous one. In 1 John 1, 9, if we freely admit that we have sinned, God will punish us. Is that what that says? No, that's right out of the reviled substandard version from the pit of hell, okay? It says, if we freely admit that we have sinned, God will be sad. No. That he'll be mad? No. We will find, utterly, we will find God utterly reliable. He forgives your sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. And so I ask for forgiveness. Now there is a right way and there is a wrong way to ask for forgiveness. The wrong way is to beg God for it. Folks, you and I don't beg for it. Oh God, please, 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 please. Oh please God, with sugar and honey on top. As if God is unwilling to forgive. I'll tell you this, God is more willing to forgive than you and I are willing to ask and admit. We don't bribe God for it. God, I'm a deal maker. 
Let me tell you what I'll do. If you'll forgive me, I'll tithe. I tell you, as a pastor, I wish that was in there, okay? <laughs> but God says, no, you can't bribe me. And you can't bargain for it. God, I promise, if you forgive me, I'll never do it again. And God goes, <laughs> right, okay? So you don't beg, bribe, bargain. All you do is ask. Now, here is a thought for you. I know in the last few weeks since Haiti, I have not been posting just the thoughts, but I'm gonna get back into it after Easter, okay? But here's a thought. Forgiveness doesn't change the future. All it does is clear up the past. But the past is important because the past can affect the present, which can affect the future. So how do you clear up the past? You ask God to forgive you and you trust in what he's done for you at his ultimate destination, the cross. Take a look at Romans chapter three, verse 23. All of us have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ, who, is, who in mercy freely takes away our sins. Will you circle the word trust? But Pastor George, you don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't know. And, and to be honest with you, I don't need to know, okay? But what matters isn't what you've done. What matters is what Jesus did for you on the cross. The trip that he took on Palm Sunday to the cross for you. And the most important thing was the very first words out of Jesus' mouth. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what in the world they're doing here. God wants you to have a guiltless life. He wants you to live life in celebration, just like what happened on Palm Sunday when everybody threw down their palms and said, Hosanna to God in the highest, praise be to him. And he joined in the celebration. No doubt there was a smile on his face as he humbly came in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey and not some big stallion because he knew that forgiveness and a guilt-free life was possible. And when you ask God for forgiveness, his immediate response is to forgive. But Pastor George, I've done that. I've asked God over and over and over and again and again and again to forgive me, but I don't feel forgiven. Let me just speak to that for a moment. First of all, you don't have to ask God over and over and over and again and again and again to forgive you. When you ask God over and over and over again, you are acting like God didn't hear you the first time. He did. God isn't the problem. You and I are. The reason why you and I don't feel forgiven after we've asked God for it is twofold. One is that we either haven't done the three steps that I just previously mentioned. Admit, accept responsibility, and ask. And if I had to focus it in on one, it would be accepting responsibility by telling one other person. Or 
The second thing would be, we really don't believe that we're forgiven. Which leads to what Jesus does with our guilt. You see, with our guilt, Jesus does five things. I hope we remember this as we come together as a spiritual family on Thursday. First, he forgives it instantaneously. Have you ever been in a relationship where you came up to someone and said, hey, will you forgive me for this? And they just kind of crossed their arms and says, I'll think about it. A lot of times we project that onto God. God's not that way. Folks, he doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to wait. The moment that you ask, there is zero delay. You see, the, the, the time between committing a sin and, and, and confessing it to God ought to be about 10 seconds, which means there's about 10 seconds worth of guilt in there, right? But as soon as it happens, boom, God, I just want you to know it. You were right and I was wrong. Will you write this down? Feeling guilty does not make you a better Christian. It makes you a miserable Christian. And Jesus went on the, that trip so that you and I wouldn't be miserable. He forgives immediately. Take a look at Isaiah 55, verse 7. God is merciful and quick to forgive. Secondly, God forgives completely. He doesn't forgive 99.9%. He forgives 100%. Take a look at Colossians 2. Verse 13, he has forgiven all, will you circle that word, your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commands which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. You see, when you and I don't understand that God has completely forgiven our sins, when something bad happens in our life, we are going to think that God is punishing us for it. But God doesn't work that way. Romans 8.1 clearly state, tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't operate that way. He completely wipes the slate clean. Third, he forgives continuously. Have you ever committed the same sin more than once? Sure, we all have, okay? And have you ever felt embarrassed after you've committed it the hundredth time? of going back to God and saying, God, I just want to let you know what I did the hundredth time was wrong. Yeah, we get embarrassed. We think, no, I don't want to go to God with this one again. But take a look at Hebrews 7.25. Christ is always interceding on our behalf. He forgives again and again and again and over and over and over. He forgives repeatedly. He doesn't get embarrassed. And guess what? Either should you and I. The fourth is that he forgives freely. It is a gift of God's grace. You don't earn it and you don't work for it. You see, mankind's greatest need is of forgiveness. And so God's greatest gift is to give forgiveness. That's why he went on the trip. And it isn't something that you and I can work for. It isn't something that you and I can earn. He just gives it. 
Take a look at Ephesians 1, 7. For by the sacrificial death of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. And then finally, he forgives eternally. Romans 6, 23, you can write that one down. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the what? Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which means this. Once you and I have been in heaven a gazillion years, God isn't gonna come up behind you and tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to get the H out of here. No. He's forgiven you eternally. Jesus started his trip to the cross on Palm Sunday. And that Sunday was a day of celebration. It was a day of triumph. It was a day of joy and happiness because Jesus knew that the first gift that he was gonna be offering to mankind was a guilt-free life. And notice how David summarizes this in Psalms 32. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those whose God has cleared their record. Let's celebrate and close in a word of prayer. Lord, today is the first day of spring and it's a beautiful day out there and it puts a spring in our step, but what puts a spring in our step more than anything else is knowing that on this day, on Palm Sunday, you started your journey to the cross to secure our forgiveness that we might live a guiltless life, guilt-free life. And that is worth celebrating about. That is worth being excited about. God, I thank you today that we can stand in your presence, clothed with your robe of righteousness and not be embarrassed, not shrink back, but that we can come boldly knowing that because of what you've done for us, we're forgiven. We're heaven bound. God, may we live as forgiven people. May we not allow the guilt of things done wrong to eat our lunch, to take our joy away whether that be consciously or unconsciously. May we travel the road that you've set before us that we might admit, that we might be a humble like you were, a humble servant riding on a donkey, that we might accept the responsibility for what we've done. And that God, that we would come before you and that we would ask you for knowing that you are a forgiving God. Maybe this morning you've never done that. And you've come to the realization, maybe the reason that you're weighed down, maybe the reason why life isn't going as well as you would like it to be going is because you haven't come to God and just asked him for forgiveness. Would you do that this morning? Start this holy week off right just by saying, God, Right now, I admit that I've blown it. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And so God, I'm committing myself to you. Come inside, begin working in me and begin working through me. For your glory, God, 
for other people's good. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, God heard you. And if you prayed it from the, the genuineness, from an authentic heart, God heard you and you're heaven bound. You've got a new life in Christ. Would you just let me know on your connection card? Just write your name, maybe an email address and the letter A and circle it stating I've accepted Christ for the first time. And I'll email you, mail you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. So God, we give you this. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, 